Good evening. It's a pleasure to be with you here tonight. My name is Samuel Dominguez. For those of you who don't know, I'm one of the deacons here at Oldham Lane, and I have the special privilege of being able to bring a message to you tonight, filling in for Blake. And I just want to say before everyone, hasn't Blake been doing an awesome job? That man can preach. That man can preach. To the point where I can just say, I'm sorry I'm here tonight. <laughs> and I offered for Blake to fill in, but he decided not to. But it is a pleasure to be here. And in fact, I would like to build on the lesson that Blake offered this morning, because when he was talking about all of the different things that God's Word does for us, what makes it an anchor for our faith, binding us ever closer to Jesus, he said that part of what it does is it tells us who we are. It tells us who we are as a people. And you know, that's not something that we're unfamiliar with. This is something that we do in our own families, isn't it? As our families grow and we have children and grandchildren or even great-grandchildren and these kids get older, we will often sit them down and we will share with them the histories of their ancestors, the stories of their extended family so that they better understand who they are and how their family came to be. You know, sometimes in the past that would have been pulling out the old photo album and sitting down and saying, well, who are these people and where did they come from and what brought them together? But nowadays with technology and all the different places we have our pictures, we might just be sitting in front of the TV, looking at pictures, looking at videos, listening to recordings. One of the greatest blessings left to my family by my father was years worth of recordings of him preaching and teaching, doing radio broadcasts. We even have videos of him preaching and teaching in this very pulpit. And we can share those things with our family over time to share how God became a part of who we are, to share the faithfulness of our ancestors. It's a powerful tool, both to the young and to the old, sharing the stories of our family, the story of where we came from. And so this evening, I want to do something just a little bit different. If you're expecting a, a fire hose of Bible study like I normally do in class, this is going to be paced just a little bit slower, and so hopefully we can all come together, because what I really want to do is gather us around and I want to tell us the story of our family. I would literally ask you to move closer, but that would probably take too much time. I actually thought about putting a chair up here and sitting down, and I was going to put a roaring fireplace on the video screen. But then after Blake commented that that's not the only way we should approach the text this morning, I decided, well, there goes my, my display. But let's gather together, shall we? In our mind's eye, we're all sitting in a living room together. It's warm, it's comfortable, it's peaceful. And we come together and we listen to the story of where our family comes from. In the beginning, there was God and God alone. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And then God created the world and He populated it with plants and animals and finally, mankind, a man and a woman. Adam and Eve were the first of God's people, the people that He created to be His own. 
And from that time forth, God has always had a relationship with His people, with His family. Even when sin separated His people from Him, God laid out a way for them to come back. And He always told them what they needed to know, and He provided them everything they needed for a righteous life. Over the years, God's people have existed in many different forms. And at first, God's people were just a family, a single family. And as time passed and this family grew and the world became full of people, the knowledge of God was passed on from family to family, from generation to generation. But not everyone listened. And over time, many people forgot the God that created them. Even when almost the entire population of the world turned away from God and He determined to start again, He chose one family, one faithful family from His people to be His people. And He kept them safe from a world that had run away from God. This is what we would call the time of the patriarchs. And during this time, God spoke to these families directly. He spoke to the heads of the household and occasionally to individual members of these families. And eventually, God chose one family, a man and his wife, to join in a covenant relationship by which He promised to bring about the salvation of all mankind to reconcile His people to Himself to bring home those who had left. This man was Abram, and we know him today by the name that God gave him, Abraham. And during this time, Abraham was the representative of God to the world. He was in covenant relationship with the one true living God, and he was under his protection. And yet, the world constantly tried to interfere. They constantly tried to hinder Abram and stop him from being faithful and to hold him back. And just as sin entered the world by Adam and Eve in the garden, and so as Noah behaved foolishly and let sin into his family after the destruction of the flood, so too all of the patriarchs during this time struggled with fear and temptation and sin despite having this direct communication with God. Abraham succumbed to fear for his life despite the promise of God to turn him into a great nation. And he lied on two different occasions, telling kings that Sarah was not his wife, but instead was his sister. And he allowed her to be taken by them. God had to intervene to protect Sarah. But then Sarah herself, she believes that she knows herself better than God knows her. And she tries to bring about God's ends without God's means. And so a nation rises up from this secondary offspring of Abraham, and it's a constant source of conflict for God's people. Nevertheless, God's promise is carried out, and Abraham proves faithful to God, and he becomes a great patriarch of God's people. God's people remain a family through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, until Jacob leads his family into Egypt to be saved from famine by God because of the faithfulness of his son, Joseph. And God's family was safe for a time. But soon Egypt became a place where God's people were enslaved by the government and they suffered for years and for generations. But God heard them. He heard their cries and he brought about the salvation of his people by raising up a new leader. Moses, 
is a Hebrew raised by Egyptians in Pharaoh's own home. But he is driven out of Egypt for fear of his life, and God chooses to speak to him and make him a leader of his people. A family entered into Egypt, but it is a great nation that leaves many generations later. This was the time of the nation. God's people were still related to each other, and they identified themselves by their familiar tribes, their familial tribes. But Jacob, or Israel, as God changed his name, could no longer contain all the multitudes within his family. And God no longer spoke just to the heads of these families, just to their leaders. He spoke only now to Moses. Moses was the only man to speak to God as a friend, face to face. And Moses led the people by the authority of God. And so God's people took on a new and different form, no longer separate families and separate leaders, but they were in fact a mighty nation with God as their king. And God went before them as they traveled. He protected them by destroying the armies of Egypt, and he gave them a law so they might learn how to live lives pleasing to their king. And yet the people of God, mighty nation though they were, they were still hampered and held back, and they stumbled by their desire to be like the world around them. Moses is on the mountaintop speaking to God in thunder and lightning and storm, and yet they demand that an idol be made before them so that they can worship. They are taken to the very borders of the land of promise, and they turned away in fear. The people who saw the mightiest army in the world drowned in the waters of the Red Sea are afraid to clear out the inhabitants of the land that has been promised to them. And so a generation dies in the wilderness, and even Moses himself lets anger and frustration lead him to make a mistake, to not give honor to God, and so he is only able to see the promised land from afar. But the faithfulness of Moses is rewarded, and he is able to rest from his labors. And indeed, God raises up a new leader in Joshua who has been a faithful servant with Moses, and he gives the land to his people. The nations of the world soon learn that even though they claim to have gods on their side, it is only the nation of Israel that has the one true God and who are his people. And yet, despite being a mighty nation with the true and living God as their king, the people turn away from him. They're tempted to be like the nations around them, and they forget who they are. They run away from the home that God has made for them. The people of God fall into this cycle of faithfulness, forgetfulness, sin, and despair. Over and over, God must raise up men and women to lead them, to bring them back home, and it doesn't stick. It just doesn't stick. And so God's people are different again. No longer does God communicate directly with their leader. He instead raises up prophets, faithful men who will bring his words to his people. And despite all that God has done, the people still reject him again. They no longer want God as their king. No, they demand a lesser king. A king like them, a king who's just a man. 
But God gives them what they want, but not without the warning of what a lesser king will do to them. And there are priests and high priests who lead worship and make sacrifice to atone for the people. And yet even the prophets and the priests succumb to the temptations of the world. Evil kings are able to make the prophets of God run in fear. Priests are greedy and corrupt the worship of God. And eventually the great nation of God's people is broken in two And then they're taken away into slavery again. And though God continues to raise up prophets and leaders and continues to fulfill His promises to them, He never again raises them up to be a mighty nation. He brings them out of captivity, a remnant of what they were, a remnant kept for God and His promise. And so they live under the authority of foreign nations and pagan rulers, exiles, waiting waiting on the promises of God. And then, a man was born of a virgin and killed for the sins of the world. A man who was in every way a man, and yet he was also God, the Son of God, sent to redeem His people by being the final sacrifice. For so many years, the sacrificial lambs have been slaughtered by the high priest, and yet the lamb was never enough, and the priest had to stand at the ready to sacrifice for the people again and again and again until Jesus, the Christ, became that sacrificial lamb, the sacrificial lamb who rose up again off of the altar. And because he was that sacrifice who rose up, he could be the great high priest who sat down. Because the work was done. There was no longer any sacrifice for sin. And God's people were invited to partake in this death and in this resurrection. To be reconciled to their God despite being His enemies. And God's people took on a new form. Those who were being baptized were added to the assembly of His people. They were added to His church. They were added to His body to become heirs of the kingdom of God. The people of God were a family again. But not a family held together by the weak bonds of the flesh, but one held together by the blood of Jesus Christ. God's people are now in the time of the church. And the church, the body of Christ is a magnificent thing. A magnificent thing. It brings with it all of the advantages of the previous forms of God's people without any of the disadvantages. The church is a family with leadership in the home and faith that can be taught from generation to generation. The church is also a mighty nation with God as its king, and yet this mighty nation is not confined by borders, and it can't be conquered by foreign enemies. The generations of the church cannot be broken by barrenness or death, nor can it be fractured by greed or by favoritism. There's no need for conflict between brothers. There's no birthrights to be stolen. Each of us is an heir to God's kingdom, and Christ is unashamed to call them His brethren. But that doesn't mean that the world stopped trying to interfere By no means. In fact, the church from the moment of its inception became the target of those who remained the enemies of God. But when we look at these attempts to hinder and to stop the body of Christ, 
we see only the power of God at work. Consider what they did. The long-awaited Messiah, Jesus the Anointed One, is put to death. But it only fulfilled God's plan. There's an attempt to cover up the resurrection, but the news spreads fast and far. And there is an attempt to silence all of those who would spread this good news, but the church continues to grow by leaps and bounds. What can the world do to hinder the church? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. What if they throw us in jail? Well, Peter and John were thrown in jail, and they were threatened to be silent. They were told, you dare not speak the name of Jesus. But did they give in? Of course not. And what has the church been doing? Did they scatter in fear because these apostles were put in jail? No. They gathered together and prayed. The world can take our belongings. They can take all of our worldly possessions. Many Jews that converted to Christ were removed from the temple and were rejected by their families. And yet these people who were left with nothing, in fact, have everything in Christ. The body is together. They are living as one. They are having all things in common. Even the poorest Christians could not be stopped from giving more than they could afford to help their brethren in Judea. And the greatest weapon for finding, locking up, and terrorizing the members of the church is blinded on the side of the road. And in his blindness, he finally sees the truth about Jesus Christ. And he becomes an apostle and he begins to spread that good news. And he spreads it to who? To Jews, to Gentiles, to kings, literally to the entire world world. What else can the world do? Well, they can take our lives. In the end, all of the apostles but one were killed. Many of them suffered violent deaths. Many members of the body were executed, and at times, great persecution has come over the family of God. And yet that same apostle, who was once responsible for the deaths of Christians, reminds us that in Christ, in this family, death has no sting and it has no victory. In fact, it's our game. That's who we are. That's where we came from. These aren't the stories of some disconnected people from the past. These are our stories, our history. This is our family. And we are blessed indeed to live in the time of the church because the church is the kingdom that will last forever. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Sam, that's not how the church seems to me. You're thinking, Sam, I've been in congregations that have been stopped. Sam, I have seen the work of the church stopped dead in its tracks by the world. Sam, that's not even how I see this very congregation. And you might be thinking to yourself, that's not how I see myself. 
you might be thinking, Sam, I am afraid. I do see what the world can do. And it stops me. It stops me from being who I'm supposed to be. And I would agree, it often feels like the world can do a great many things to stop the church, but it's a deception. It's an illusion. The reality of the situation is that the world can do nothing. Now, it's easy to look around us with fear and be tempted to question if God is really in control, to wonder, is God's way really the best way? But the truth is that the world can do nothing to stop the church so long as his people are faithful. Is that not the history lesson that we just read? Is that not the entire history of God's people? Is that nothing could stop them so long as they remained faithful? Not politics, not governments, not war, not disease, not death. Satan cannot win because he has already lost. All he can do, literally all he can do, is make us look around the world and be afraid. But we have nothing to fear. Hear the word of the Lord. Hebrews, starting in chapter 3. Take care, brothers and sisters, that there will not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another every day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we keep the beginning of our commitment firm until the end. While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose dead bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, we must fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also did. But the word they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united with those who listened with faith. For we have believed, we who have believed, enter that rest. Just as he has said, as I swore in my anger, they certainly shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they certainly shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who previously had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again sets a certain day today, saying through David after so long a time, just as it has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest he would not have spoken of another day after that. Consequently, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let's make every effort to enter that rest so that none will fall by following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let's hold firmly to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, therefore, because all this is true is what he's saying, therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. So my message tonight is actually very simple. Don't be afraid. God is in control. And we have nothing to fear. He has won the battle and the world can do nothing to stop us. The world can do nothing to separate us from God. God has made us His people. His children. And we cannot be stopped so long as we are faithful. So long as we are faithful. For those who are not a part of this great extended family, choose today. Today is the day. Choose today to be united with those who have listened in faith and join in Christ's death through baptism. And for those who have run away from God's family, in spirit if not in flesh, choose today to come home. This is your family. And they're here to help, to comfort, to encourage, to do anything that you have, any need that you may have. This is the story of our family. We are the people of God. Let us approach the throne with confidence and be ready for the rest that He has promised. Today is the day. Don't be afraid. Come forward if you have any need.